Welcome to the Homeschool High School Podcast, brought to you by Seven Sisters, homeschool.com, and the ultimate homeschool radio network. I'm Vicki, and I'm not here with Sabrina or Kim today, but I am here with one of our awesome friends, Jill Hummer, that we have met at the Two to One Conference. And Jill is a really like famous person in the realm of history. And uh, I'm really geeked out, excited to be able to talk to her. We met Jill at the two to one conference several years ago and just have so much fun talking to her because she's a gracious homeschool mom and uh, but also very, very wise associate professor of political science at Wilson College. So her expertise is on first ladies and she has taught. Uh, like really in-depth lessons on C-SPAN and you can see her on History Channel and all kinds of cool things. So anyway, so Jill, welcome and tell us a little bit about your family's homeschool journey. Oh, hi, Vicki. Yes, thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk to you today. So our homeschool journey is kind of an interesting one. My husband, Josh, was homeschooled back in the 80s and 90s when many fewer families were were homeschooling. So he was a pioneer kid there. He was, he thinks of, yes, he thinks of himself (laughs) as one of the pioneers. And, you know, families who did homeschool back then, I think really were, really were pioneers paving Mm -hmm. the way for for the rest of us. But um, homeschooling was really kind of foreign to me. I remember one of my, one of the families in my church homeschooled, um, but I went to public school from grades K through 12. And I remember when my husband and I were dating, I remember we were driving somewhere and we were talking about um, homeschooling. And he said, you know, I think we were probably engaged at the time. He said, you know, it's really something, you know, it's really kind of neat. You should maybe think about it (laughs) for the future. And I was like, are you kidding? I'm getting my PhD. I was on this kind of like really focused career track. And I was like, homeschooling does not fit into (laughs) to the plan. And, um, and it took us a while. We prayed a lot about it. It took us a while to come around when we eventually, you know, got married and had children and we were deciding about educational options, but we really felt led um, to, to homeschool. And it's not, been it's not been easy I work full-time and um, so we tried to we try to do our best to juggle um, our, our mm-hmm. work schedules mm-hmm. with our our homeschooling commitments but it's been it's been a great joy and I'm so glad that we decided to do it and that's the really awesome thing Jill is that you were willing to pray about it so mm-hmm. even though you are a full-time professional woman. You know, when y'all got married, you were on a PhD track, Mm -hmm. but you were willing to say what doesn't make sense in normal life may make sense in God's economy. Yes. And and it continues not to make sense every single day. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) But I think our main job is just to be obedient to our call and let, and let God take care of the rest. That's right. Well, you know, I, I ended up being a working homeschool mom mm-hmm. also, and my kids all survived. Yes. And what what mattered in that is that we felt this is what God was calling us to do in each area of our lives. Mm-hmm. So I really respect that you and your yes. husband were able to pray through and, and follow that, even though it is having challenges because all life does anyway. But 
working sure. and homeschooling has its own thing. So, all right. So Jill, the reason why I wanted to talk today, although I get so interested in all the things you do that I think we could do, you know, a gazoodle uh, number of podcasts. Sure. Um, I, I really am having so much fun with the work you have done on President's Wives. So that you have a book on Amazon, on First Ladies, and been on, you know, like you can go to YouTube and see Jill Hummer all over the place. So anyway, um, I was wondering if you could just tell us facts, you know, like interesting trivia or what's important about uh, First Ladies, because a lot of us moms are raising potential first ladies or potential thought leaders or potential culture changers, um, either girls or boys or both. But I think they can learn a lot from the things that, that you have shared about the first ladies. So give just, just whatever comes to your mind about the, the first ladies and the work you have done. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, I'm happy to, I'm happy to talk about first ladies, anything that you, any interesting trivia, um, I can happy to share. But yeah, the first first ladies, they're, they're an interesting, they're an interesting bunch of women. Um, you know, there's no constitutional role for the first lady. There's no rule book or when they come into the White House, there's no playbook they have to follow. So um, basically for their role, they have to kind of they have to rely on history and tradition and then mm -hmm. invent the role for themselves pretty much. So um, they are they are women who have endured lots of trials. A lot of first ladies, we think of them kind of as elites, <clears throat> excuse uh -huh. me, but a lot of them started out as average moms mm -hmm. and many of them had to endure lots of hardship. So for example, in, in the modern era, Eleanor Roosevelt, Mamie Eisenhower, Jacqueline Kennedy all had to endure the loss of a child. Um, mm. Many lost their parents when they were young. Eleanor Roosevelt lost her parents while she was still a young girl and was yeah. raised by her formidable grandmother. Bess hmm. Truman's father committed suicide. Betty Ford's father died of carbon monoxide poisoning. These are kind of depressing things, uh -huh. but they all have had to endure a lot of them didn't really have easy lives. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to study their backgrounds and where they came from definitely shaped who, who they, who they are. Um, so those, that's, I think one of the first things that I wanted to share. It's you have to look at their, you have to look at their backgrounds to understand what they're doing or what they did while they, while they led the white house. Well, and I think that's important to know mm -hmm. is sometimes we think that our kids have to have a perfect life right. in order to go on and fulfill whatever destiny God has for them. Mm -hmm. And it's our job as homeschool moms to make sure everything is okay all the time. Right. And basically God is not checked out of the universe, even if things are tough no. and he can do some pretty amazing things, even with uh, young people who've endured tragedy. Right. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I 100% I agree with that. Yeah. I, I, I love that um, it, on the um, C-SPAN talk that mm -hmm. you gave, you quoted um, 
Pat Nixon, I think it was about what what uh, an important unpaid position that the job oh, yes. was. Yeah, yeah. that was um, but Pat Nixon once said, and I think this is one of the best quotes that I've ever read about first ladies. But she said that, <clears throat> excuse me, being first lady was the hardest unpaid job in the <laughs> world, and that's true because first ladies do not earn a salary. There's, mm-hmm. you know, they 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 work and. And, but they don't get compensated, just like kind of we as moms working at home don't get yeah. compensated for all the work mm-hmm. that we do behind the scenes. They don't get compensated either, but they're still expected to do things. They're still expected mm-hmm. to be active. And Pat Nixon made those remarks when she was traveling to Liberia. She was traveling um, for the inauguration of the new Liberian president. And um, she had endured like a 12-hour flight. She had endured a day of state act, like days of state activities. She had gone to the, he, she had sat right next to the um, incoming Liberian president, a guy named William Talbert. The Reverend Billy Graham went with her on that flight Mm. because they were both Baptist ministers. But Mm. um, she traveled with a huge entourage of people, but she was representing her husband at this particular inauguration. And so I think she was just exhausted and and said what she felt. Like, this is the hardest unpaid job in the world. (laughs) But but, yeah, that's one of my favorite quotes about first ladies and, and, and what they do. And I, I really appreciate the things that you've shared about them um, very often taking a kind of leadership in some kind of cause role. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think it's a, a big illustration of how all of us have some small influence somewhere in the world. We may be, you know, little influencers and a, a first lady is a big influencer, um, but they had to be willing to do that if they were feeling led to do that. So. Um, can you get kind of give some background on the ladies and their causes? Sure. Well, Jacqueline Kennedy was actually the first first lady to have what we know today as a first lady project. Mm. And she came about her project in kind of an interesting way. I'll just I'll tell you a little story behind it. Um, And it goes back to the Truman administration. Back when Harry Truman was president, um, he actually didn't live in the White House. He and his family lived across the street in Blair House. I had no idea. Yeah, they they lived there because they moved in. And, um, you know, we think of the White House as this like beautiful, historic, well-preserved building. Well, it wasn't always. Mm. (laughs) Um, And and they moved in and his daughter, Margaret, who was a singer and played the piano, um, she was practicing one day up on the residence, which is above kind of the state the main state floor and her piano leg crashed through the ceiling. <laughs> and that is when they realized that the White House was literally crumbling underneath oh their goodness. feet. And so they did an inspection and realized that it needed to be gutted and completely rebuilt from the bones mm. <laughs> to, the, uh. to the walls. And so they moved out and it was this really long process of rebuilding the White House. Well, of course, as government projects tend to do, this one ran out of money. And um, and so they had very little money left for refurbishing the White House, like decorating, putting up the Mm. curtains, doing the furniture. And so um, 
it's traditional for the outgoing first lady to give the incoming first lady a tour. And Jacqueline Kennedy um, went to Mamie Eisenhower, invited her to go and visit the White House for before she, her husband took the oath of office. And so she uh-huh. went and was just appalled by what she saw. And what she saw was basically the White House was decorated to look like a really nice early 1960s hotel. Um, (laughs) A New York furniture store offered to kind of come in and furnish the White House at cost at the end Uh of the Truman renovations. And Jacqueline Kennedy was actually, she was one of, I think, our most intelligent first ladies. She was very well educated and then spent a lot of her free time. She was kind of a self-described nerd and Mm. spent a lot of her free time as a young girl reading books about art and history. And she was very interested and very knowledgeable in Mm. in art history. And she was also a great linguist, um, fluent in many, many foreign languages. So she came in and with like all of this armed with all of this education, she looked around and thought, where am I? Like, where is the history? Where is the American art? And she saw none of that. And she just thought that the White House needed to be a place to kind of showcase the best um, and the like the American history and the best of American art. And, Mm. you know, so she um, so she made it her project to renovate the White House. And she wasn't I don't think she was she went in and into it kind of thinking, oh, I need to kind of make a mark for myself. I think that she just really saw a project that she felt she needed to be done. Uh-huh, and so she uh-huh. had kind of the knowledge to lead that project. And she did. So yeah, so now I mean, we can credit Jackie Kennedy with the fact that we can go and tour the White House, and it's preserved like a museum is she got a lot of the furniture that had been sold or stolen <laughs> and donated uh, over the years, she got uh, a lot of that to be returned. Um, she yes, appointed the first White House curator. So a lot of a lot of credit um, goes to Jacqueline Kennedy for both her first lady project and um, the fact that we can go and see the White House and all its historic glory today. Yeah. So, and, you know, that may not seem like, like a world changing project, Mm -hmm. but really it, it, like what, what would, there's a lot of um, influence a, a country or a person has by the brand that they present. Mm-hmm. And so to present a brand that's respectful of history and, and beauty rather than the brand of we're hotel lobby, you know, right. so it's, <laughs> exactly. it's, it's just a subconscious kind of power symbol. So, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Other interesting things about the president's wives that that you have been impressed by. Sure, I think um, I I am and I'm impressed by all of the president's wives in yeah. some way. Um, I I always like to tell about first ladies who are not as well known as like Eleanor Roosevelt and Hillary mm-hmm. Clinton and people like that, but they were all remarkable in their in their own time. Um, Lou Hoover is a person, a a person that I like to talk about. She is interesting because she was one of the first women in the country to have a degree in geology. Mm. She was, yeah, fluent in many foreign languages, including Mandarin, 
uh, including Mandarin Chinese. She was an expert. Um, this is where your Latin can come in, homeschool uh-huh. families. <laughs> uh-huh. She helped translate. Um, she helped translate a. She and her husband trans- translated a um, a book called Dire Metallica from its original Latin into modern English, which um, is a which was a big deal. I'm not I, yeah. as a as a non geologist. I don't. Uh-huh. I understand why this was such a big deal, but in you know, in time it was, and it was a way for her to use her Latin. But yeah, she went to Stanford University, got a bachelor's degree in ge- geology. That was huge. Her husband Herbert Hoover, who is unfortunately because he kind of got saddled with the Great Depression, he was a yeah. completely brilliant man, and uh-huh. that that is also not recognized. But yeah. um, one of the most capable and competent men of his time, I think. But Lou Hoover. I'll just tell you a quick story about about Lou Hoover and something that she's maybe not quite as well well known for. She didn't have a project. This was kind of in the days before first ladies were were known for a a project, but she did do a great deal um, to kind of uh, make the White House more welcoming. And there, I wanted to just talk about this incident that is known in history as the DePriest tea incident. Um, there was oh, a congressman okay. named Oscar DePriest. He was okay. he was an African-American, the very first one elected in the 20th century, and he mm. had a wife named Jessie. And first ladies hosted um, congressional wives annually. They still do, wives and husbands mm. these days. But um, And so a Black person had actually not visited the White House socially in decades, which is hard for us to imagine mm. today. But mm. back when Lou Hoover was first lady in the late 20s, early 30s that that was the case but so there was like all kinds of controversy like is the first lady gonna invite jesse de priest mm-hmm. um to the white house to kind of socialize with all of these other congressional wives and mrs hoover decided um to go ahead and invite her but she received a lot of cri- criticism the the um the, some state legislatures actually passed resolutions condemning her, and oh. newspapers ran editorials criticizing her for it. And um, she was very much wounded by the criticism, but she never did regret inviting Mrs. DePriest to the White yeah. House for, for tea. Well, and so. that's such a, a beautiful example of thought leadership, mm-hmm. although they wouldn't have called that then, that she had the courage to do something that would cost her emotionally, but it was right. And right. she was setting an example in that. So how on earth, Jill, mm-hmm. did you end up being like a, you know, this is your, you're the subject matter expert in our neck of the woods. And I mean, go on YouTube and look up Jill Hummer and, you know, you are a first lady expert. So how did that come about in your life? Well, um, yeah, that's a good question. I went to the University of Virginia for graduate school, which is a great place to study the presidency Mr. as mm. Mr. Jefferson's university. So I went there and um, worked in, I worked at a place called the Miller Center for Public Affairs for their oral history program, which was a, it's a really neat program where we just brought in um, 
I think at the time we were working on the George Herbert Walker Bush oral history and the Bill Clinton oral history. And Ooh. and we would bring in administration officials and would just host them in Charlottesville for a couple of days and just get them to tell their stories, what they saw in the White House, what they witnessed in the White House. And I think it was just through that experience that I, I kind of realized that not as many scholars in my field were paying attention to the first ladies. I think, you know, even today I'm I'm going through and grading some discussion forums in my in my online class and we're talking about we happen to be talking about the presidency this uh-huh, week. Uh-huh. And even the textbook that I use for my American government college class um, says like the first lady's role is mainly ceremonial and kind of like blows it off as an mm. insignificant part of the presidency. But you know, as I was looking in more and more into into Hillary Clinton's life and legacy, Barbara Bush's life and legacy, it kind of struck me as like, no, that impression of the first ladies that political scientists and even some historians have is just wrong. And so I kind of wanted to to write a book that showed um, what she did and why she did it and why her role is worth paying attention to. So it was in during my graduate school years that I that I became interested in in first ladies. And it's it's just kind of carried on through the present then. Yes, it has. And so and and that's kind of, you know, how it works. And I know your sons have PhDs um, mm-hmm. too, right? You're both of yeah. you. Okay. So you're two oldest. Yeah. You're two oldest. So yeah, that's wonderful. That's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. So way yeah. to go, Vicky. Yeah. But yay. And and a, that's a really, really, a really wonderful accomplishment. But you kind of, when you get a PhD, you end up specializing in something and that kind uh-huh. of becomes your expertise, not necessarily for the rest of your life, but it's kind of expected that you will follow. You've developed this interest. You've kind of mm-hmm. developed this scholarly niche and mm-hmm. it kind of follows you throughout life. And so I wrote my dissertation on first ladies and um and then I got my first job teaching at Wilson College and I kind of put it I set it down for a few years I had a few kids I have four kids um and then I I decided you know it wasn't until kind of I had been working and teaching for maybe six or seven years that I decided to pick it up. And, and I thought, wow, I'm, I traveled around the country when I was in graduate school. I visited all of these presidential libraries. I was kind of sitting on all of this great primary source research. And so I decided to turn it into a book because otherwise, you know, it, a dissertation it's valuable, um, certainly, but the next step is turn it to turn it into a book for many yeah, people. Yeah, because a, a dissertation is not readable by the, no. the average population. <laughs> no, dissertations are not readable, not readable. Yeah. So my mom was always like, I really want to read your dissertation. And I would tell her, no, you don't. You really yeah. don't want to read it. And it's not that interesting. So that when you turn a dissertation into a book, you, you, I rewrote it completely. Completely. It's yeah. not, I mean, I didn't have to redo the research, but um, you do have to kind of rewrite it and make it understandable for a general audience. So, yeah. <laughs> so that is the challenge. It's not, it's not an easy thing um, to do, but yeah, I felt like, I felt like it was time. Yeah. So that's a great segue. Would you tell us about your book and then also just lead right into how people can get hold of your resources that you've developed for the homeschool world? 
Oh, sure. Yeah. So my book is called First Ladies and American Women in Politics and at Home. And in my book, what I wanted to do was look at how the what was going on in women's history and women's politics shaped what the first ladies did during the times that they served in office. And so, you know, women's history is it has not been has changed a good deal since mm-hmm. um, in the modern era. I start with Lou Hoover and I end with Michelle Obama. So many, many interesting changes to um, to women it, within women's history during those years. And so that is what I do. I kind of try to weave together those two stories in my book. Um, and yeah, so for the homeschool community, my husband Josh and I have a uh, a company called Silverdale Press, and you can find us at silverdalepress.com. That's S-I-L-V-E-R-D-A-L-E press.com. And we have some, so our very first unit study was on the presidential election in, mm-hmm. uh, in 2016. So mm-hmm. we are revising that um, and we will have one ready for the 2020 election, probably by the end of the calendar year, but it needs to be revised and updated to include mm-hmm. what happened in the 2016 yeah. election. Yeah. So that was our flagship unit study. And um, we've also developed a series of unit studies um, called White House Holidays, and they look at the president and first ladies and, um, or, and what they do around each holiday. So it's kind of like everybody needs a break around the holidays, right? Mm-hmm. In your homeschool, Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. Christmas, Veterans Day, you know, Martin Luther King Day, you you need the time to kind of step back, take a break. So we just designed these um, as a way for the for homeschool families to kind of take a break and have a unique celebration around the holidays and learn something as well. A lot of primary sources, a lot of kind of fun hands-on activities. Um, So those are the main kind of White House presidency-oriented resources that we have. So I will be sure and put links to all of those in the show notes. And Jill, I would love to have you back to talk about more things that um, our homeschool high schoolers might be able to do to kind of learn how you learned. Sure. Um, and uh, to be able to, to pass on, you know, for kids who are college bound, there are things that you learned through your education that might uh, be helpful for them. So does oh, that absolutely. sound good? Yes, that sounds wonderful. I'd love to talk about the college experience, one of my favorite topics. That's great. Okay. All right. Well, we better wrap it up. So this has been the Homeschool High School Podcast brought to you by SevenSistersHomeschool.com and the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. We will see you next week. 